All right, so four weeks ago, we started this little series in the letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians, written by a guy named Paul and his friend who? Yeah, you guys, some of you guys got Sosthenes. And uh, it's to a city, uh, a church in the city of Corinth. And it's an up-and-coming city, city, if you remember. This city is like bustling with with money and the economy's cranking and there is just so much opportunity to make money and, and to experience different uh, religious practice. There's temples everywhere. There's idols everywhere. And, and there, this is a city um, that just has a, a huge amount going for it. And yet it is full of greed and depravity and, and all, this, all this stuff happening into it. And, and sucked into the Corinthian culture uh, uh, could, could be this little church. This little church in Corinth, they're, 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 they're new Jesus followers, and yet they're, they're in this city. And remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about this idea that Paul said, being in Christ and in the city. Like, uh, we talked about how, as followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to, like, move to a commune that we're actually called to the city we live in, that we're actually called to the culture we live in, and yet we're also called to be set apart. And so this is this ongoing letter he's having with them, and and he hears from Chloe's household. I I messed that up last week. I I said it was Priscilla and Aquila, but it's Chloe's household. He hears from these messengers come from, and these messengers show up in Ephesus, and they're like, hey, Paul, you need to know what's going on. Like they had this letter uh, uh, frequently uh, of questions. Like, like we have some questions for you, Paul. Uh, not FA, FA, FAQs, but like real questions. And, and these messengers had some reports of their own. And Paul is dealing with that report right now. He's, he's actually launching into like his main idea behind this whole letter. And he says this in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, Paul is actually calling on the authority of Jesus. He's actually saying, listen, I appeal to you, and and not from my standing, but on the name of Jesus. Here's what I appeal to you. That all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. Now, that word divisions is actually a Greek word called Schismata, it's where we get the word schism. Um, it actually means to split, to tear apart, okay? To rip apart, to, to, to crack. And it's this idea that Paul is saying that, that you shouldn't have any divisions among you. Like, this is like the first big problem that Paul is bringing up to him. Like, there is division. Like, there's rips and cracks in you as a, as a community, and, and this is a community that's supposed to love each other and they're supposed to be on mission together. And now they're actually fighting each other. They're actually divided over some specific things. And he goes on to say, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, in, in Greek writing, scholars actually have been able to uh, zero in on how different letters in, in this time period actually are formulated, and this seems to be, by a lot of different scholars' opinion, like the thesis of his whole, at least the first chunk of the letter. 
that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Problem is, is that word unity is kind of a, it's kind of a benign word for us. Like, does it, how much does that, what does that mean? Um, Like, how many of you think we should be united? Like, yeah, all right. You're like, I think so. But there's an interesting thing behind what Paul's saying here. Paul is, he's not trying to get them to be uniform, okay? So unity, here's what unity is not, according to Paul. Unity is not uniformity. Does that make sense? Like, like androids for Jesus, you know, like, like they're not, like, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that, have to be, there's, that has to be uniformity. And, and unity is also not tolerance. Now, a while back, we talked about these different ideas of tolerance. There's historic tolerance, and then there's the popular understanding of tolerance. Historic tolerance is actually kind of guided by the church throughout the, throughout the ages. And, and obviously, the church hasn't been really good at this at all, <laughs> all the time. But there's this, there's this idea that there's a right and there's a wrong, and there's the, there, we, can, we can agree to disagree without killing each other kind of tolerance right? It hasn't worked all the time, obviously. If you're, if you're a history buff, 30 years war, interesting. Like they disagreed mainly on baptism. So they killed each other. Weird. But, but what he's saying is like, Paul's like, I want you to be unified. And, and then there's the modern version of tolerance, which is basically, if you disagree with me, you're a bigot. which is, that's crazy. And so what Paul is kind of getting at, he's not getting at uniformity, he's not getting at tolerance, he's getting at, he's getting at this idea that they are a community of people and they're very diverse, and we'll get into that in a little while, who come, who come out of their diversity together, okay, in, in order to push the gospel forward and join Jesus in the mission. That's what he wants them to rally around. And we're going to get into why they're breaking apart all over the place. And hopefully you will understand how important it is for us today. He goes on in verse 11. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Like I said, this got all the way over to Ephesus where he was at, hundreds of miles away. A legitimate effort to gather a few people together in a letter and get 100 miles on foot to Ephesus to ask Paul what we should do. Sorry, I missed my spot here. Um, So here's from Chloe. And we can speculate that Chloe, uh, many scholars believe that Chloe was a single wealthy businesswoman in Corinth. Remember we talked about freemen in Corinth and how there was different statuses for people and there was the, aristoc- the aristocrat kind of crew and then there was people that just made a lot of money. It's kind of like the Wild West, right? And, and, and this woman, uh, Chloe, um, she was probably a host for one of the house churches, one of the house churches that's happening um, in the city. And so they were 
broken up, best we know, is the Corinthian church was broken up by smaller house churches all over the city of 30 to 50 people, and they would gather uh, quite often um, in those house churches, but they would also gather as the larger church called the Ecclesia, which is the gathering of the called out ones. We learned that a few weeks ago. And so they would gather in these house churches, and then they would try to gather again as a whole group. We're actually doing this in a few weeks, not because we've chosen to do it, but because we've we can't meet here. And so we are gathering in house churches at the end of the month, and we're going to practice what it looked like to be a house church. Now, some of you are like, I'm taking that week off. That's weird. <laughs> Push into the weird, okay? Be brave and courageous. What we're going to do is we're going to invite you, based on where you live, to one of the house churches. And if you're like, you don't know where we live, then I'll be like, yeah, I do. <laughs> we'll find where you live. We've got little spies. Dan's going to follow you home, right? <laughs> do it. Um, so, so verse 12, it says, what I mean is this. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's like zeroing in on what he's hearing. He says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Now, what is happening here? This is like one of those things that um, we think we know what's happening on first reading, but there's so much going on in the backstory, and we're going to share a little bit about that today because it actually sets up the next number of weeks, um, and it'll help you make sense of really the next four chapters, okay? So if you're, if you're listening, if you're here today, you don't have to go back and listen and wonder what's going on. Um, here's how this goes. In the first century, there was a huge movement inside Greco-Roman culture, and it was called sophistry. Now, sophistry is the art of speaking well, okay? It's the art of using your words and communicating and, and wowing the public with your speech. Now, in, in Greek, um, in, in this time period, a Greek sophia is what it's called. Is, 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 sophia is really the Greek word wisdom, and, and, and what uh, these sophists would do, would, would they would try to uh, communicate these wise, uh, beautiful uh, orations to the people. And they were like the rock stars of the day. These were traveling uh, speech givers. <laughs> okay, they didn't have rock concerts and, and movies and all this different stuff. They had sophists that would travel into town and the whole city would show up at these giant coliseums and events to hear the sophist speak, the traveling sophist. Now, what's interesting about um, uh, these, these clowns, really, um, is, is they actually had followings. They actually had people that would follow them. They would actually have people, really wealthy people, that would, that would sign their kids up to learn how to communicate in rhetoric. And tell stories and, and expound on all this stuff with their words. And it was big business. And, and in fact, we have a couple of, of, of writers in that time. Pliny wrote this. Even intelligent listeners can be seduced by the pleasures of the ear and the charm and skill of the delivery 
and abandoned their critical faculties, right? This is like someone would come in and just wow the crowd. People would be like, that was so amazing. And they lost the ability to think critically, right? This happens all the time in our day and age. I mean, politicians are, they're doing this to us all the time. Like, what did he say? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Plutarch said this, the naive and undiscerning do not keep in view the life the actions and the conduct of a man who follows philosophy, but rate as commendation points of style, phrasing, and fine delivery, whether it be useful or useless, right? I mean, we know all this. We know all about this. Now, there's three things you really need to know about the sophists, and this will be huge in understanding what we just read. The first one is this. All of them had disciples, Okay? All of the sophists had followers, people that would follow them not only physically from town to town, but they would, um, they would, be, they would hear news of them in different towns, and, and, and I'll tell you here a little bit more what they would do. There was fierce competition between the sophists, right? There was like, um, it was like a battle of the sophists. <laughs> like when you found out that so-and-so was in a certain town and all these people were just amazed by his, his, his speech, um, you would probably try to get to that town pretty quickly to uh, leave your mark, right? And so all of this is happening. There's huge competition. And then the final one, and this is really, really important. If you were a follower of a sophist, Okay? It was your duty not only to promote your teacher, like actively tell people about them, but to honor your teacher by tearing down and degrading the rival sophists. Is this starting to make sense a little bit? So when Paul, so <laughs> here's what we think is going on in the text that some of these Jesus followers in Corinth, in this church, were so enamored with their culture. I mean, these are cultured people. They're into the arts, and they're into the the religious practices of their day, and the the finances, and the money, and all the temple stuff, and, and the entertainment. And they're so into all this stuff that they begin to treat each other this way. They begin to treat each other's, all these different teachers, by insulting them, and degrading them and splitting up into factions. Tribe number one, Paul says this. Some of you say, I follow Paul. I am of Paul. And so maybe, scholars think that maybe these were the founding members of the church, right? That these were the people from day one when Paul went to the Jewish temple, and you remember they, they kind of kicked him. We talked about this in Acts 18. They, they were like, get out of here, Paul. We don't, you know. And so he went next door. Remember that? He went next door to Crispus and Titius Justice and started the church with those guys. Now, we think that some of these folks are like the original founders of a church. You ever been an original founder of something? There's something like really kind of like, hey, I was here from the beginning, right? kind of a big deal. Like, I was here from day one. (laughs) And that's how these guys were. Uh, Listen to this. They were loyal to Paul as the founder. They were loyal to Paul. Like, Paul was here at the beginning. He's our guy. Listen to this. (laughs) This is so great. I love these letters. Like, if you really, like, read these things and 
kind of get into them nerdy like me. Second Corinthians is another letter we think is third Corinthians. Never mind. We won't get into that again. Second Corinthians 10 verse 10 says this. For some say his letters, they're talking about Paul, are weighty and forceful. This is Paul talking about himself, quoting them back. He says, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Like, can you, can you catch some of this sophistry stuff going on? Right? Like, it's basically like, Paul, man, we love, we love the books you write, okay? You just, you're just not a good speaker, man. You just don't got style, right? So, but there's, the, so there's this crew, right? That's the Paul crew. Then there's the Apollos crew. Now, Paul, we're gonna get into Apollos, like totally the background of him, uh, Acts chapter 18. If you, I don't have time, you can get into that. Uh, tell the story. Here, here's the thing. Apollos was from Alexandria. And now Alexandria is like the hub of intellectualism. It's the hub of Hellenism at the time. Um, it was just, it was like this big time educated culture. And Apollos shows up. And he, we think that he's on staff at the church. And, 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 and Paul later says in this letter, what I planted, okay, Apollos watered, right? So there's some sort of a handoff. Like Paul starts the church, leaves, and Apollos is there. And he is kind of shepherding and teaching and doing some stuff there. And he's really popular. He's really smart. He's probably witty and funny and whatever. And, and, and he's like deeply intellectual. And there are certain people that are probably really wowed by Apollos and, and his ability to communicate, right? And they, those might've been the folks that are a part of this, this conversation that Paul is having back, okay? Then there's the third tribe, and this is Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for a name for Peter. And we think based on 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that, that actually Peter and his wife may have visited Corinth. And that there's this, this Jewish contingent still in the church that is very, um, this is where we think it might be dividing over even ethnic lines. That Paul is a Roman, Apollos is Greek, and Peter is Jewish, okay? So you have some of the ethnic stuff happening here as well. And um, we believe that, you know, the classic, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're followers of Jesus, but we also do, you know, the Torah, and, and we're kind of into that, too. So it makes us even better uh, than everybody else. And then there's tribe number four. Now, we think this is the classic, like, who wouldn't agree with this, right? I follow Jesus people, right? Like, this is the people that don't get into that pesky squabbling. They're really just Jesus people. And we think that that uh, these are the right people. But we actually think this is still a little sinister too. These are the anti-authority people. These are the ones that are like, it's just me and Jesus. Yeah, I, don't need any, you know, I don't need to listen to you guys. I don't need any of your authority in, our, in my life. It's just, it's just me and God, you know? You know anybody like this? Don't elbow people. Just this is the this is the guy at the bar with his buddies talking about how bad the church is these days, kind of guy. Which is like me <laughs> sometimes. Um, this may be like um, that young, um, kind of arrogant, grew up in the church, think they know everything and are better than everybody else, skeptical of everybody but themselves 
follower of Jesus. Shocks me about how a letter 2,053 years ago, 55 years ago, math's not my number one, could be so much like our lives today. Tribes are alive and well today. And if you spend any time in the church world, you'll know it. We are a celebrity-obsessed, personality-driven church culture. And we are fools to believe that this does not bleed into our lives. And, uh, I mean, there's famous people all over. People ask me all the time, who do you read? Have you read this? Things like that. We are hyper-consumeristic. We live in a culture that has TV shows about TV shows. We, we have awards happening tonight, next couple. We have, wait till the Super Bowl next week. If you don't think you're affected by consumerism, yeah, it's like, dang. And we're obsessed and we are driven by personalities and we get sucked into that in the church. So one of the reasons why around here, I mean, we're not perfect, but one of the reasons why we have a, a teaching team one of the reasons we have a plurality of voices on that team, every single one of us is so different in our way we deliver, and our, our, that's because we want to have that. Like we, next week, don't miss, I'm not speaking. And a lot of you freaking out because you're like, oh, if you're not speaking, I'm not coming. That's what we're talking about, right, right here. Like Next week, you've got to be here because Mr. Hernandez is speaking. And his heart behind this next chunk of scripture has just been huge. And I want you to be here for that. That's why we have a worship team. That's why we have a worship team with different people leading worship. That's why Elliot, I mean, Elliot is, he's like, I'm leading sound today. I'm leading from the back. <laughs> That's why we have a leadership team with a bunch of different perspectives and, 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 and discernment and background. That's why we have all these different places for you to connect that are just to have different perspectives and thoughts. And, and the problem is, is we get sucked in to personalities. And we get sucked in. There's nothing wrong with preferences. I'm not saying like, I'm not, I'm not that preferences are fine. But the reality is, is like, as long as that doesn't take us away from the mission. See, one of the, one of the sins in I think modern Christianity is sermonolatry. Like, seriously, people worship sermons and people that give sermons. And um, do you know most Christian books, like popular Christian books, are basically just sermons made into books that were really, really successful at the church they were at. And so they decided, hell, I'll just, I'll just have someone just pull all these together and make a book. And that's what sermonology, I mean, I just think that we worship the sermon. And here's the thing. The point of today, gathering together, is not for you to listen to me. The point of today is that we would come together as a people and reorient our lives and our stories around the story of Jesus. And that's why we're coming to the table. And that's why we gather. And there's something about re-offering ourselves to the work of the kingdom. And that's why we gather.
Now, um, Paul is, um, is dealing with this issue in this church, and he's, he's asking these questions like, you know, who, I follow Paul, I follow, I follow Apollos. And, and, the, and the church ultimately, what he's getting at is the church is ultimately built around the person of Jesus. The story uh, culminating in the death and, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, is all about what the church is about. And he goes on in verse 13, he says this. He's just throwing up some great questions. Is Christ divided? He's saying, you're divided. But does that mean that, that Jesus is cut into pieces? Was Paul crucified for you? I love his sarcasm. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, that word, that, that, the phrase into the name is where we get this kind of idea of under the ownership of new masters. So when you're when in the name of Jesus, saying, basically saying that Jesus is my master, it's Greco-Roman language. It's this idea that when you were, if you were ever sold into slavery or if you ever transitioned um, ownership uh, of yourself or people in your life, that you were into the name of this person. So baptism... And its core is about ownership. It's about God's ownership of us now. He says, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then he goes on, this is great. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, I just remember a couple of you, you know, and that I baptized, and so hilarious, so down to earth. I mean, it's so funny, like, people are like, well, Paul, and they think inspired to write this letter by the Holy Spirit, people think that Paul was just, like, in some trance, you know, like, uh, and then he woke up, and it was done, you know? No, like, Paul is just, like, I could just imagine him just, like, he's got Sosthenes there and a few others, and he's got a scribe. They probably hired a scribe from the local market, and, and they're in this room, and Paul's just, pacing and frenetically walking around and thinking and throwing things out there. And, and there's just this beauty behind the poor scribe. I mean, he had to, it had to be bad. But this tangent, he goes on about baptism. Baptism is about identification. That's about this new identity that when you go into the water, you experience this, this death to yourself and to the world. And, and when you're under the water, it's the burial. And then when you come out of the water, it's the resurrection. And then you're into this new community of God with others. And you identify with Jesus and the people of Jesus. And it's this beautiful thing. And if you've never been baptized, and, and yet you are a follower of Jesus, and you identify with the people of Jesus, I would encourage you to be baptized. I would encourage you to, to be a part of this huge experience. See, this identity of being baptized into the name of Jesus is actually an identity that precedes any other identity that you have. Identity with Jesus and the people of Jesus. And, and what was happening is they were identifying with their baptizer. They were identifying with Apollos. Or they were identifying with one of the other leaders at the time. In verse 17, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, 
I wonder where he got that from, right? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He's saying, I'm not coming here like a, like a sophist. I'm not coming here to just, you know, dance with some cool, cool words and phrases, right? I, I'm coming to, to tell you about the gospel of Jesus and that this has the power to transform your life from the inside out. And he's like, I'm not coming to you. Uh, I'm coming to you as a missionary, that this is my mission. He's not coming with famous phrases, but with power and weight and force. See, the gospel is the true story about God in this world. And that's what Paul is about. And so Paul is, is, is loading them up with the gospel in comparison to empty words, empty phrases. And it's easy to read this and think about unity and, and, it's, and it's tough because it's hard to stay unified. It's difficult. There's difficult people. There's difficult situations. And it's really hard in an individualistic, consumeristic culture like ours to stay really unified. So how do you do it? How do you stay unified in this culture? How do you stay centered around Jesus in a celebrity-obsessed culture? I think there's four things that Paul alludes to here. Four things, not only in his life, but also in this letter that he alludes to. Um, and I think this is really helpful because, um, and this isn't just for us. It's for all the churches around us that we uh, link arms with and pray for, whether it's Foothills or Storyline or Mile High Vineyard and all these churches. They're great churches, great places that we pray for unity for them as well and for us collectively, that we would all stay on mission, that we would all major on the things that are more important and put away the things that aren't. That we would stop playing games about, oh, have you heard so-and-so speak? Or, hey, about the worship over here? And have you seen the fog machines? And like, seriously, like, Let's just get back to the mission, right? So the first one is this, stay focused on the cross. Now this, here's the thing. If you wanna learn how to stay unified in your relationships, in your marriage, all those things, some of you guys know that we don't do marriage series around here uh, because we, we do gospel series around here all the time, like every week. And we happen to think that if you stay focused on the gospel, things will start to change in your marriage. Like if you begin to die for the other person in your house, things will change in your marriage. And so if you stay focused on the cross, at the core issue, this is central. The father gives his son and spirit and life and the cross is the center of everything. And we read scripture through the lens of the cross. That, that all of scripture is culminating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and all these other side issues on the margin aren't a big deal, ultimately, if the cross is lifted up. So whether your feelings on, on, on nerdy things like complementarianism and egalitarianism and sovereignty and, and, and eschatology, and that's a big nerdy word that said, what will it be like at the end, um, how you see the future, all those things. All those things are side issues. Now, if you make a side issue a central issue, it's gonna pull you apart. Side issues keep us off mission. 
There are entire churches defined by side issues. We had a guy come in early on in our church, and we share this story in membership. So if you're coming to membership, we'll just get this out of the way now. But um, we had a guy show up at our church. And what happens with new churches sometimes, uh, small, young churches, is, is people are like, oh, fresh meat, right? And they'll, they'll come in, and they'll have an agenda. They'll have a, they're like, oh, I can get involved here and then steer this church the direction I want it to go. And so we had a guy show up, and he's like, after the service, and um, he's like, hey, brother. And I'm like, uh-oh, right? Like, like, that's like, what? So don't call me brother, okay? Because um, then I won't, I, never mind. Anyhow, so he's like, hey, brother, um, I just want to know, like, gr- great sermon, by the way. I just want to know which version of the literal six days of creation do you believe in? Like, he's just waiting for my exact, like, there is a wrong answer, and there's a lot of wrong answers, and there's one right answer, right? And I was like, you know, the fact that you're asking that question leads me to believe that you're not going to be very comfortable here. I didn't see him again. Addition by subtraction. Because there's, there's like, that's, that's a side issue. That's a side issue that's not important, right? That's like, that's not what we're rallying around, okay? We're rallying around Jesus, period. And we're gonna, we're gonna figure all that other stuff out as we go, and we're gonna have some disagreements along the way. You might come from a different tradition than I do, and, and we can talk all that stuff out but it's about Jesus. And so that's the first thing I would say, centered on Jesus. See, churches built around the cross and the gospel thrive. Ones that stay focused on the side issues fracture and die. Second thing is this, you need to have a healthy balance, okay, of how you think about church leaders. Some of you come from a culture of celebrating the pastor, like, don't do that here. We're the same. Okay. Like I struggle with all of this too. I'm, I'm a, I've told you my stories. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I'm depraved. And, and you just need to know, like, I don't have this all together and I haven't figured it out. And now I'm imparting my, my wisdom to you. If only you could all be like me, please don't be like me. Now, there's something about like trying, like, like modeling things and like, I better get like, like down the road on this before I start like telling you what to do. Sure. But we're all broken is what I'm saying. But the other side of it is don't disrespect leaders either. Like there's this idea, like there's this pendulum exalting leaders and disrespecting them. And there's this this verse in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about this idea of, of spiritual authority. And I know some of you have come from really hurtful situations. Um, you were probably still dealing with some authority in your life that was broken. And I, I get all that stuff. But this idea that, that, and we'll get to that actually in this series, but this idea that there's a healthy balance. Like, don't prop leaders up too high, but don't just, don't just undercut them either. And uh, the third one is this, know your place in the church. Know your place in this community. If you go, man, I really don't know what my place is here. I, I just come. 
we want more for you than that. Like you have so much more to offer this community than you realize. Your gifting, your personality, your life experience, you are actually, if, if you don't know your place here, you're, you're actually holding out on us. Does that make sense? Like, well, I don't, I'm kind of an introvert. I, I get it. But you're, we want to find ways for you to contribute here and be a part of this. I'm not just saying serve and fill a slot. I'm saying your life means something to somebody here. And we want to see that happen. And so part of it is also knowing kind of what you're good at and what you're not good at. There's so many things I'm not good at. And, and that's why there's so many people on this team. Um, this is why it's so important to see the value in your spouse. Some of us, like, if you don't, uh, you, celebrating the, the things that your spouse brings to the marriage is one of the hugest things to, to push your marriage further. Like, if you're in the business of conforming your spouse to be more like you, Oh man, it's gonna be rough, real rough. And so a lot of times we have a hard time valuing people that are different from us and then divides us and breaks us apart. You know, a lot of times we are, you know what we're really good at? Finding people that are just like us and hanging out with them. Like, man, you're just like me. You like to do this, you listen to that, you drive this. Man, you're rad. You're pretty great. You're just like me. Like, we should get together and celebrate us, right? And some of us, we get caught into that because it's easy to hang out with people that we really get to know, uh, like, that are just like us. But the, the church is full. Uh, I mean, Gentiles, Jews, male, female, uh, Greeks, barbarians, schists. I'm going to push, push it forward to our day and age. We're full of hunters and vegans. <laughs> right? And soccer moms and CEOs, which is so hard, much harder to be a soccer mom. Trust me, like getting kids, to ever, you got to be a CEO to do that. Like all these different intellectuals and business owners, and, and maybe you're in the public service industry, and maybe you're a student. We're all part of this beautiful thing. The final thing is this, stay on mission. Stay on mission. When, you focus, when we focus on ourselves, we get off mission. This has to do with friendships and marriage and churches. They all fail when you take the focus off the mission and put it on yourself. Paul's just a man on mission telling them, you're off mission. You're fracturing. This wasn't the plan. Last, uh, yesterday, we had, some, uh, we had lunch with some friends, um, some people we've known a long, long story. I'm not getting into it. We got lunch together. And obviously, they're always, how's the church going? And always, this is, this is always what happens. And I, I think I'm going over. Am I going over? I'm almost done. We'll be quick. Um, they, always, they always ask us, so when are you getting a building? Like, How's the church? When are you getting a building? Like, what's your name? What do you do for a living? We all hear that. For me, it's when are you getting a building? And um, folks, like, if that was our mission, we would be off mission. Does that make sense? If my goal was to get us a building, we would be off mission like that. And so 
when a church gets focused on its own preferences, it begins to see the end. The church is the only institution, someone wrote, that does not exist for itself. And so our mission is we're called to love the city. We're called to help the city. We're called to to love the poor and the broken and shape the culture of the city. We're supposed to live out the gospel of King Jesus in our lives, in every area of our life, with each other. And so the goal is what happens when you and I walk out of here? What happens to us? That's why we're here. It's so that the out there changes because of what happens here. Stay on mission. Are we gonna have disagreements? Yes. Are we gonna have different perspectives? Yes. And as long as we focus on the mission, we're gonna have a great ride together. So I'm gonna finish us up as the, the worship team comes up and we're gonna take communion together, but I'm gonna finish this up just reading out of Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. This is also Paul. Listen to these words. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all who is over all and through all and 